Welcome to The Bridge, fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Welcome to The Bridge. We are a show which connects East and West. My name is Jason. I'm from sunny California, living here in beautiful Beijing. Today with me is Alex. Hello, everybody. This is Alex. Sure, I am also in Beijing, which is a very, very safe city to live in. But I'm from the northeast part of China, which is also pretty safe. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. Statistics show U.S. police kill, quote, far more civilians than any other wealthy country. And a Colorado sheriff uh, has received an honorary award after shooting an unarmed man at an elementary school pickup. Mm. What's going on in U.S. policing and why can't the people stop the violence? Now, I actually saw this video. I saw the entire thing. This guy going into the wrong car and then getting back into his right car and then the police shooting him to death. This was before I read the article. It was like a day before. It was going viral on social media. So I watched it. This is this really sad part. Mm. I could believe what I was seeing because in America, violence, especially by the police, mm. has become so endemic that we're becoming used to it. When you were living in the United States, did you ever experience any uh, or see any firsthand police violence? I mean, I think I am lucky that I never had to witness it firsthand. Mm. It would probably be very traumatizing to witness that. I imagine so. My experiences as a white Mm. male were mostly very easy. So I ran a red light one time and a police officer kind of pulled up next to me and he was like, you know, you ran a red light. And I was like, yeah. And he said, you know, you cut me off. And I said, no. And then he was like, "Okay, be careful. That was it. You know, that's white privilege right there, Mm. because like if I had been a different color, the outcome could have been considerably different. Mm. So like my experiences have largely in the United States been not too aggressive. Although I had an experience in the city of San Jose in Silicon Valley Mm. where I went to visit some people I barely knew and we were in a, they were like 19, I was like 21 or something. But they were playing hacky sack. The hacky, or whatever it's called, the okay. sack, it got kicked into the the parking lot, which is not an actual street. One of the kids, 18, 19-year-old kids, he jumped out, grabbed it, mm. and it caused a car to stop. And so there was a uh, mall uh-huh. policeman. He was an actual policeman, a police officer. The police officer yelled at this kid and told him to sit down. But basically, this is called being detained, which is illegal unless you're going to accuse them of a crime and you're preparing to arrest them. So I spoke up because, you know, I wasn't used to this. And uh, the police officer then made everyone there who was in our group of about seven or eight people sit down on the pavement while the police officer like just stood there angrily with his mm-hmm. co-police officer. And they just detained us illegally for like 10 minutes until one of the girls with us, she started screaming about her rights or something. And finally he was just like, okay, you can leave. Mm. That wasn't that bad. You know, that, so that's probably the worst experience I've personally had with a police officer where he was clearly power tripping and violating our rights. But yeah. it looks like based on the news, that's constant 
pouring stream of news that there is an there are incidents every day where people lose their lives mm. or get shot or are mistreated by the police all over the United States to the point where yeah. you know in the past there have been riots riots that have uh, been reactions to police getting let off the hook for incredibly violent actions mm. against the citizenry of the United States yeah it's very concerning to the point where you know eventually these kinds of riots might destabilize the entire country of the United United States. So mm. I don't understand why more action isn't taken to stem the tide of this kind of violence. I don't really know. I've been asking some people lately in preparation for this episode yeah. what their thoughts on it are. And I have some ideas, but I really don't know versus other countries why the United States specifically has such a bad track record. One idea that was proposed to me is that in other countries, becoming a police officer requires like a degree in law enforcement. Mm. Whereas in the United States, you can go through a training program for a couple of weeks or a few weeks, and then suddenly you're a police officer. And then you're and so, a rookie. Yeah, exactly. So essentially, mm. maybe the problem is that the profession isn't a serious profession in that it's not, you're not required to prepare for it well. You basically need to be able to run a little bit and pass a couple basic tests and you're a cop. Mm. But in other countries, you are expected to go through two or three years of a rigorous training process before you're allowed to become a police officer and hold that mm. kind of power over people. So is it possible, listeners, that this is just a problem of professionalism and that the U.S. police forces, mm. because there are a myriad of them, are just not professional and they need to be certified? Do, what do you think? Please email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com and let us know if you think that might be a solution to this problem. What do you think, Alex? Yeah, I mean, when I was looking at uh, issues that are uh, related to this topic and, and coverage, I think one thing that really kind of made me go, okay, you know what, that's a problem, which is there are, according to, to NPR, there are 18,000 police departments in the States. Which is, mm. I think it's a, it's a big number. Um, yeah, you know, and each has its own rules. Exactly. So the the rules, the standard of being a police officer mm. is never the same across the country. There's yeah. really no standard. There are only big LAPDs, Boston PDs, New York NYPDs. These are the big ones mm -hmm. that they have mm -hmm. a bigger, sound, more sound mm -hmm. structure and probably protocols and processes you have to go through. Um, but there are 80% mm -hmm. of that 18,000 police departments in America only have less than uh, 50 officers. Mm. So when the sizes vary that much and they all kind of operate on their own in reality makes it probably mm -hmm. difficult mm -hmm. for there to be a national standards. Yeah. We could we could spare the rookie to be on training. And then again, I'm by no means saying this is the right thing to do, but we could spare, for example, 10 rookie police officers to be partnered with, a, with an experienced officer uh, for like over the period of six months. And then the officer's main job is to teach this new police officer. But if it's a police department that only has 10 people, you can't really spare that. Then you kind of, you get, even if you are a rookie, you have to be forced to go into action um, without problem proper training and you know whatever and then when it's when it's that kind of varied i think people just it's just hard for people to say police should do this we should make this kind of reform that kind of reform and i think that's one of of course only one of the small bottlenecks of why there can be 
like an easy change for the to become a situation to be alleviated. Well, I think that's actually a really good idea. I I ran into the same data when I was in preparation that there are this enormous wide variety of different policing institutions. Mm. There's a problem in the United States. It is a real problem. You have states' rights versus federal rights. So you have different political spectrums polls where people some people think everything needs to be localized yeah and that other people think everything needs to be handled at a federal level and what it ends up happening is some mishmash in between but it seems like for something as serious as policing maybe there should be a federal standard even for local and state police definitely so that if you're in modesto california or you know sacramento california or you're in texas or you're in colorado the police should be held to the same standard and what that would mean for ordinary citizens is that because they know all the ways that the police behave are the are universal mm. that they would be able to prepare the way that they behave in, with the police in the same way so that if they're cross state lines and they're in Colorado but they're from Arkansas yeah. they know that the police are expecting a certain kind of behavior from them mm. which allows the police to handle their own behavior as well it's not just about okay you're police from Arkansas you need to behave like the police officer from Los Angeles it's actually yeah. Also about the citizens and how they interact with the police, because maybe I'm from Oakdale, California, and the police let me drive through a red light without giving me a ticket. You know, they're like, oh, OK, but then I go to somewhere else and the police are like, you know, throwing me on the ground because I'm not acting in the way mm. that they expect in their locality. So a universal standard wouldn't just yeah. help the police yeah. have standards across state lines. It would help the citizens behave in the right way with the, a dance between these two entities, the police and the citizenry. Yeah, and I, I you know, there's, um, I was reading this article from Harvard Kennedy School, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. Instit- Harvard Kennedy School Institute of Politics, and they were mm-hmm. writing about uh, why police training must be reformed because currently a lot of the trainings are focused on firearm skills and mm. and it really omits the, the exposure to non-lethal weapons and conflict and de-escalation. management. De-escalation. And you know this word that people yeah. have, have been talking about so much and people are like, oh, we can't, we can't de-escalate, you know, because this is a life-death moment. And we hear that so many times. It gets so exhausting. In fact, in this article, they said that a lot of police officers feel like if they call for backup, if they try to de-escalate, call for backup, have an alternative solution mm-hmm. to this, it's a sign of weakness. Really? Mm. So wow. there's a lot of mentality-related things that need to be changed. It's also just not true. So this this is according to TheGuardian.com. Colorado sheriff honors deputy after he killed a man who mistakenly got in the wrong car. So this is the one we started on. Yeah. This, this is published February 25th who uh, this year, if anyone who wants to look this up. And you can find the footage online. It's pretty easy. This guy, he physically, well, he was at a pickup, like a, a school pickup to pick up his like nephew or something mm. in a car. There were two identical cars mm. and he went and tried to get in the back seat of the wrong car, which was literally yards away from from his car. It's a common mistake. Where his family was waiting for him Mm. and they had both moved. So he was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And then the woman in the car started yelling at him. So he closed the car door, walked over to the correct car Mm. and got in the backseat of the car. So the police officer then came over to the the correct car and Mm. forced this guy to open the door. And then he said, hey, what were you doing? He tries to explain his case. Now, I understand maybe there was something legally wrong with him, what he did. Maybe the police officer could have said, please meet me downtown. We could debrief you about this incident or whatever. But instead, mm. this unarmed man, the, the police officer forced him 
to get out of the car. And the man said while he was still in the car, you know, if I get out of this car, I fear that Mm. you're going to hurt me or whatever, get violent. He got out of the car and the police officer, because he grabbed something in his pocket. I don't remember what it was, but it wasn't a firearm. Shot him to death right there on the scene. His mom tried to get out of the car and the police told him to stay in the car. I couldn't imagine how she was feeling. They had just shot her son to death. (sighs) She's trapped in the car, wants to check on him. She's forced to call crying out in the car. Mm. Can't even get out of the car because the police are just stunned themselves standing there. They don't know what story they're going to use or what how they're going to explain this. So they just force everyone to stay away while they stand there totally confused at what they've just done to this poor man. Mm. The concept of de-escalation isn't even enough to explain this. This guy was unarmed, it's, it's sitting really in a car. They escalated it by bringing him out of the car and then shooting him to death. There was no, it was just ridiculous. I've seen body cam footage. It's not as bad of a situation where it ended in the death of the civilian but if you just look at body cam image where the police literally says things the police officer in these some of the particular videos specific videos literally says do what i say when the person says what i what did i do wrong you know because i'm not doing anything intentionally that's breaking the law what i do wrong, the police officer will literally say Mm. you know there's some some cuss words in there and then say i'm the police get out of your vehicle do what i say don't even ask a question and then as a person who again i it's really hard for me to imagine that i'm ever um in a situation like that how nervous i would be especially mm-hmm, when mm-hmm, they have mm-hmm. guns with them yeah it's really it's it's insane when i see them just draw their guns and point it at the person who apparently knows nothing about what's going on i feel like even just me trying to imagine being in a situation like that i have goosebumps all mm-hmm. over me i could only picture myself being completely numb and not know what i do and if i don't do what they're asking me because i was really scared and i I am lost for actions that could be will that be looked as not following all uh, the following orders right maybe you're frozen in yeah. fear and and then what happens from there and then what if you are and then I, I will be a minority living in the United States so like if you're a minority does that make it even worse for you and that kind of fear if you're a mom your wife your husband your whatever if you have to feel that kind of fear for your loved ones i mm. i can't really comprehend i can't wrap my head around that kind of being so, something like that being your part of your daily life everything you just mentioned this article also points out that this police officer who shot this man immediately upon getting back to the sheriff's office was an award, a medal, a Purple Heart medal for having shot this man to death. Clearly, this is not going over well because there are articles being written all over the world about how this was completely unfair. Yeah. And so I think not only is this man going to be in trouble, but this entire sheriff's department is going to be in trouble because they're awarding police officers for basically I can't I don't know if I can legally say the word murder but definitely killing yeah killing this unarmed man after forcing him to get out of his vehicle Mm. and shooting him in front of his family in front of a school at a school pickup where there are children present it's just it's beyond words so I mean I don't I've only lived in a couple of countries I've been to Canada I've been some other places and traveled around but I lived in South Korea and the police don't have guns and i i live here in china yeah. and yeah same, the same police in china yeah. don't have guns you almost never see 
guns. There are like uh, special times when, because we live in Beijing specifically, and so there are special times when there are armed police that uh, show up to guard like special institutions. For security reasons, yeah. It's not yeah, like... very imp- extreme situations, like, you know, there are presidents present from different countries and things. Yeah. But like, other than that, you almost never, ever, 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 ever see anyone with a gun at all. Guns are illegal. Yeah. So in the United States, not only do the police all have guns, but they have some of them have many guns. They have their own guns in addition to the fact that they have guns from the police department. And then the citizens have guns. Obviously, everyone around the world is aware that the United States has a serious gun violence issue. Yeah, I think it comes down to that. I mean, a lot of our listeners may not like that, but it's that's the reality. The reality is the reason so many people are killed in the United States is because there are easily accessible killing devices everywhere. It's ubiquitous with life. Yeah. I mean, I'm an American, but I'm, I think that the Second Amendment may need to be rewritten a little bit here, like because this does not happen in other countries around the world. This happens in the United States. You have mass mm. shootings. And I mean, maybe that's one of the reasons that police are so afraid mm. because the citizens themselves are armed. If the citizens were not armed, the police would not mm. even need guns, firstly. But then even if they needed guns, they wouldn't be afraid for their lives as much by someone who's a yard or a meter yeah. away from them because that person, the most they're going to have is a knife or something. And they could probably stop them with enough training without yeah. having to terminate that person's life. I have some statistics here. It's mappingpoliceviolence.org. And it talks, it shows statistically in 2022 killings by police and has a calendar of every day. Oh God. And Mm. there's, there are almost no days where there were not people killed by police officers. It says there have been 10 days in 2022 when police did not kill people in the U.S. 10. Mm. There are 360 65 days in a year. And on this, it has a color chart and it shows uh, incidences in which more than one person were killed per day. Mm. And if you look are looking at this chart, which you can find at mappingpoliceviolence.org, you can see that most days police kill more than one person, two oh or three God. or four people in the same day. This is not a small instance where, oh, CNN is showing it's once a month person that got killed by the police. This is happening daily where people are being killed by the police. You're listening to The Bridge. You know, I was reading I was reading on the articles about kind of the mentality um, of police being the community police mm. guardian versus the warrior of the community. Mm-hmm. And it kind of, mm. in the article, it's, it's the, it's Protect the, and serve. Eh, yeah, it's the Harvard Kennedy school article again. And it's kind of stating that mm, it mm, all mm. started to change in the eighties when the war on drugs were going full force and the police kind of became mm. people mm. thinking the police thinking, you know, with the zero tolerance policy and people were focused, police officers were focused one, percent on eliminating crimes instead of protecting the community and protecting the residents of the community. And that just, you know, that kind of mentality came kind of probably was the start of Mm. some of the police mentalities nowadays. And with that kind of mentality in place, the article also touched on this really good point of how the the recruiting videos of, of police force 
need to also change as well because some of the videos that really didn't go under scrutiny for what it is will show will glorify the use of deadly force once you become a police officer. So imagine the people that are going to be attracted Mm -hmm. or going to be um, interested in in joining the police force as their career choice when they see videos like that. They're like, oh, we get to, you know, Mm. we get to use these guns. We got to use these other other, things to do this warrior thing. I am going to be the the justice warrior. I'm going to be, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, I'm be eliminating crimes with that kind of mentality when you go into the police force versus going in and think I am going to get the training and get the job to protect the residents in my community. Yeah. That the outcome will be, I think the outcome will be drastically different. I agree with you. I also think based on my little knowledge about police forces abroad, that getting a minimum degree, not certificate would be uh, ideal, Mm -hmm. like an associate's degree, which is typically a two year degree in law enforcement. Yeah. Because there's a group of people, I I forget their name, but they do first amendment. Let me check here. Uh, They're called auditors. Yeah. They called first amendment auditors. And you people at home, if you're interested, you can go to like YouTube and type in First Amendment auditors. And what you get are these people who go into mm. public places like your local courthouse or your local, you know, administration, the mayor's office, and they bring cameras with them or their phone. They what they do is they set it to live feed so that if something happens there, they don't need to have updated it later or upload it mm. later. It's uploading yeah. as they're recording yeah. for safety. And people watch these live. They watch those like 10 or 20, 30 people watching live. And then it goes viral later and there's hundreds of thousands of views later. And these people go in, all they do is take pictures and video and they walk around. And then usually almost all of the time in these videos, mm. a security guard or police officer walks up and tells them they're not allowed to be there, which is not mm-hmm. true. And so then they just say, no, I have a legal right to be here. And they'll list a couple of laws that show why they're able to be there. Mm. Usually, almost all the time, yeah. they'll end up calling for backup. And then those backup will call the secu- their, their, their home office and eventually someone who does know will say, oh, these people are allowed in these public venues and they are allowed legally anywhere in the United States to record. So it's entertaining for a lot of people because they want the police to be shown what they should know. Mm. But my point in bringing this up isn't like, go do this. I don't recommend anyone do this. The people who do this are professionals. I don't think you should walk into your local courthouse and just start recording and being obtuse with police officers. That's a recipe for disaster. Mm. But I think that it tells us that most police don't know the law. Yep. Most police in these instances claim they know the law and are proven wrong by these professional auditors. So the reality is we need to send people who want to be police officers for these like associate degree programs to so that they actually then do know the law. It's not enough for them to sit and watch a PPT about what the laws are once or twice or even for a few weeks. They need to be taught and tested the law thoroughly through several courses, Mm. professional courses for a couple of years at least so that 
that when they go out and they are protecting and serving, they know the dance. Mm. We need the citizens and the police. So we, we're talking about uniformity of laws across states for the citizenry to know and uniformity across state lines and professional degrees for police officers. So the police know so that when the police and the citizens engage with one another, everyone knows what part they're supposed to play mm. so we can have the least amount of violent outcomes. That's my opinion anyway. You know, speaking of the knowing, having the training to know what you were talking about. And I don't know if you came across this Financial Times article and it's really it really puts things in perspective when we talk about, you know, what training does it take to become a police officer? Mm -hmm. And when you say, OK, the, uh, to become a police officer, you have to receive 652 hours of training on average across the 18,000 police mm. agencies in America. Right. And it sounds like mm -hmm. 652 hours are a lot of hours. Mm -hmm. But if you compare that with training hours to become that you have to do in order to become another profession, it becomes almost ridiculous. Here are two examples that they listed out in the Financial Times article. Mm -hmm. And it's very recent. So the data is still very new. So U.S. officers receive 652 hours of training on average. Mm -hmm. But if you want to become a plumber, a licensed plumber, mm -hmm. guess the number of hours training you have to receive. A thousand. It's 3,500 hours. Wow. And guess if you want to provide um, cosmetic treatments, like you become, you want to be a spa technician to help people improve their, yeah. the number of that is 3,000 hours to be authorized to provide mm -hmm. cosmetic treatments. And these two professions do not entail carrying weapons. And making life and death decisions for people. Absolutely. You know, so it's one fifth of what the other profession requires you to go through the training. For. They're also talking about just on the job training as a rookie. So, for example, 650 hours is 13 weeks of 40 hour, mm -hmm. 40 hour work weeks. That's actually really small. So we're ta I'm talking yeah. getting a, an associate's degree two years. So we're talking about yeah. a considerably larger investment than this it sounds like a lot though when people hear 650 hours so i think that's why they throw that out there and they're like oh wow really that's a lot of hours but you're right yeah, but it's not it's almost nothing because if you compare like okay let's not compare uh, the the training hours of a police officer with other professions let's look at other training hours in in, in other countries in finland police officers undergo mm -hmm. 5500 hours of training to qualify wow and that's eight times yeah. of the us average and then wow. according to according to the police executive research forum which is something that focuses on researching critical issues in policing they said that in among all of the police agencies most of the training programs and standards were outdated inconsistent and mm. oftentimes mm. it's just too brief i mean i love statistics as well so i want to stick with statistics i have this from prison policy initiative um and it said this is one of the charts they have u.s police kill civilians at much higher rate than police in any other wealthy countries yep. the, per 10 million people the united states kill 33.5 people yeah. versus iceland and norway zero japan 0.2 yeah england and wales 0.5 so a lot of people actually think that england is really has a high level of criminality which it does but it's the amount of police shootings where they no, this is killings this is not even shootings yeah. this is killings of any kind by police officers is 61 to 1 61 times more killings by police in the united states than england obviously the united states has a very serious problem and it may be something we can sort out through education i have another one also prison policy initiative mm. u.s police kill far more civilians 
Americans annually than any other wealthy country. And its total number of people killed by law enforcement in most recent year with available data. The United States per, it doesn't, oh, just this is the total, Mm. 1,099 people. The next country down, Canada. 36 people. So it is a massive problem specific to the United States where police are killing civilians. You know, I, I remember, and this goes on a little bit of a personal mm-hmm. idea, like, you know, the kind of the personal account of what happened with uh, police brutality when mm-hmm. I first moved to the States, because I, I think we have uh, touched on this topic before. And I said mm-hmm. this, like, I don't have a very acute understanding of police brutality growing up in China mm-hmm. for, for people that are not really aware. And of course, I, I don't think this will ever be talked about in Western media in a positive light, but Chinese police has different categories, like different types mm-hmm. of police. There's the community. Right, right, There's right. the community, play, uh, community police people who are going to... like security guards. Almost. They're like, they are like what I was talking about. They're the guardian of the community. They serve the community. Mm-hmm. community. They protect your safety. And then if you help, like you, there are a lot of you go on the internet, you'll see a lot of stories of people basically like, oh my God, there's a bird that flew into my house. And they <laughs> call the police yeah they, they call the community police guy yeah. who everybody knows by name in the community comes to your house and help you helps you get the the bird out or even like my parents live in the compound alone i work in a different city and i can't go home for an emergency they call the police the community police there is actually a name for them they call the piercing like the neighborhood yeah uh, police they are and then they will just they're, they're always around and there are a couple of them that's uh if if there's a bigger community, there will be like two, two or three of them, usually really, really, really nice. And they never carry weapons because yeah. they are the community police. They're not here to. Our security guy that hangs out at the front of our compound, he actually sorts the packages that deliver that get delivered. And he'll tell you if you have a package or not and stuff like that. So they're really it's like, yeah, protecting they're, and serving. They're actually really nice, really kind. Actually protecting and serving. Yeah. And then there is the the traffic police, you know, which is, mm. you know, for the United States and the, the data we were discussing about a lot of the incidents. Officer Judy Hopps. You know, a lot of the incidents happen during traffic stops. Yeah, yeah. For yeah. a country that mostly, where most people drive, with that being a very imminent and real mm-hmm. threat mm-hmm. of people's personal personal safety. Again, like I wouldn't be able to know what to do if I am driving and all I'm thinking is if I did something unaware that I am not aware of and then I get pulled, I get pulled over and, you know, I just can't fathom that. But the police officers, the police traffic police in China also don't have guns because they are there to direct the traffic. And then, you know, they do stop you. But that's to see if you right, drink right, any right. alcohol for that, and especially when there's like bigger events or important holidays. You see more of those officers because they need to make mm-hmm, sure mm-hmm. if it's a holiday, we want everybody to be safe. And we also know that people are. Yeah, they do uh, alcohol testing and different choke points in China, just like they do in the United States. Exactly. But it's not it's not not a you know it's not a situation where you're gonna you have to worry about whether they're gonna draw their gun and shoot me if something right. were to yeah. go wrong it's like oh no i'm right i'm, I'm gonna get a ticket or something right yeah. and then there are the 
the the we'll call the criminal police, the detectives mm-hmm. that do have guns. Because I have a, one of our family members uh, was a police officer. He retired. But this is something I didn't know. Yes. So don't mess with me. <laughs> no. But here's the here's the thing. Like you, we say this joking, like oh, it was someone in the police. Don't mess with me. But every day when he goes to into work for any detective that is issued a gun in China, mm-hmm. they go to the police station to collect their weapons in the morning, and they carry the weapon if they have. To be out for mm. a specific task, like if there is a case that they have to, like they're they're gonna go on mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Uh, to arrest somebody or there's an emergency situation, they carry their weapon out with them. Yeah, when they're done with their work, they have to return their, their guns to the to the police station. Like they're they can't just when they're not on duty, they can't just hmm. go around carrying the gun, just you know showing it off to people, and then yeah. just in case something happens. So wow. as, as a Chinese person growing up here, I'm really I'm not used to idea of police officers you know kind of going around with with firearms on them and i'm not gonna lie when i was like uh in new when i was living in new york when i was going around Times square where there's a lot of people from a lot of different places and a lot going on sometimes you see the police officers and they seem like you know the seat you see the belts that they wear and they have i don't even know what they are they're probably like uh, police batons and, and and guns and tasers and all of these other things and you're like oh that's cool you know they wear that belt with all the mm-hmm. the apparatus that, that they carry but if you really think about one of those things being applied mm-hmm. also mm-hmm. i didn't know this thing i didn't know about taser until i went to the united states as well i didn't i didn't know what that was and then mm. i mean i understand that it you know it's a less deadly firearm but i i heard that police would go into school to teach kids about what? the roles of police officers in society and they would demonstrate the use of a taser and they would ask a kid to what no yes i this is this is my this is my friend who went and then kids start to kind of brag about who's the toughest like who didn't scream who what it's kind of it's re- yes it's i you know people can die from being tased it's, it's rare but people can have heart attacks and strokes as a consequence of being tased and die. Yeah. And they do that to say, hey, this is what we will do if you ever do have an encounter with the police and you didn't follow what the police officer asked you to do. The police are not completely unarmed in the, in China. Sometimes they have like a baton, the, but yeah. it's rarer too. Mostly they just have a walkie-talkie. Yes. Yeah, it's like, uh, I'm going to walkie-talkie you. I want to try to change the topic a little bit, at least for a few minutes, because we need to talk about the elephant in the room. And so this is from mappingpoliceviolence.org. And mm. it incorrectly says that black people are 2.9 times more likely to be killed by police. This is the actual data. Police killings per 1 million people in the United States, 2013 to 2022, black people, 68 killings per year. Mm. But it's actually not correct because white people are killed at 23. It's actually black people make up a smaller percentage of the population than white people. So it's actually much more than 2.9 times more. So black people being killed by Mm. police officers is considerably larger amount than than white people per the population. So uh, racism in police violence is something that 
is receiving a lot of attention, but only sometimes because this is a media issue. Mm. You have the people in the media deciding when to show this. Oh, is it a is it time to demonstrate that this is a problem? Yes. Or no, people are tired of this. We've already been showing it for three or four days. Let's move on to something else. And so they mm. just only show it periodically that this is a problem, but it remains a problem all of the time. Mm. So this is something the United States has to deal with. Whether they want to or not. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the solutions that we have offered more training and universal standards across the United States could potentially uh, alleviate a lot of this racial issue as well. Because if police were mm. trained that you, know, you treat each citizen like these, these are the exact rules of engagement and they actually know the laws, which they clearly don't right now, mm. then perhaps they would be more uh, fair in their distribution of force in, in general, because they would know that the consequences were X, Y, and Z. I think also the yeah. justice system probably needs some kind of overhaul. I don't know how to, I have no clue what that means or how to do that. I'm just saying that as a theoretical thing, because far too many police officers who kill people are let off. So if the laws are yeah. built in such a way that that happens, then we need to rewrite the laws to hold police accountable for killing unarmed black men. Yeah. Because this is a problem in, that is endemic in the U.S. Uh, police force. Yeah, I think this... Policing forces. Usually the, the narrative around this, because I, I, I recall when I first heard about George, it's not even uh, George Floyd, it's before that. It was a Mike Brown mm. in 2014 because mm. it was doing my internship at the, the PBS uh, radio station in Boston. I remember when it first happened, one of our reporters pitched it to one to the editors who's mm. you know, who are amazing journalists for sure. But one of them was like, is this real? I can't believe that's real. I can't believe someone was walking away from the police and they shot him from the back and, mm. and, and killed him. But very soon in a day, of course, when we reconvened, it became a national, it became national news and it became so much more important than what we thought it was going to be, at least what the chief um, the editor thought it was going to be. And then from there, I was, like I said, idea of someone being shot to death without doing anything to the police. And, mm. and again, I'm not saying who, which is better or what, but, you know, I see videos on, you know, on, on the Chinese bullet train. Sometimes some deranged person decided to attack the, the train police officer because they didn't like the, they didn't want to give up their seat and they get really violent. And you see that person launching full attack at the police officer and the police officer has to just mm. stand there and take it for the first couple of minutes until they really do have to use force to pin that person down or, or try to, you know, handcuff them to take them to the designated area on the train so that it, they don't threaten other passengers on the train. When you go from that to looking at the news, I was, I remember being so in loss of words. I didn't know how to react and what to, what to say. Mm -hmm. And then when the verdict came, then the officer was basically just walking um, out fine. I remember being just beyond angry on social media, of, of course, at the time. And, and I remember talking to one of uh, my, my African-American friends who said something that was not uninterested, but he was just like, this is not something that's so 
unexpected. I knew this is, mm-hmm. we, we all knew what this was going to be. And I said, I remember being someone who was very new to this type of mm. occurrences and, and emotions. I was like, how could you be so insensitive? You know, of course I was being the one who's trying to be like, oh, you know, you should be, the, you should feel this is it. And then my friend said, my friend said, Alex, here's what you, what you need to know that this is not news to us. It's news to you. Because you're new to this country. You didn't see this before. Mm -hmm. But this is not news to us. This is our reality. This is our daily life. This is some kind of fear that we live on a day-to-day basis. You just only got to see this now. So what what do I feel Mm -hmm. now? I feel fatigue. I feel exhausted. I I feel Mm -hmm. helpless. I don't know what to do about it. And that's just a very and this is this is a friend. This is a back then I'm, you know, my new friend in America that we were having, we're working together, we're studying together. And just hearing that's part of their psychological thinking. Mm -hmm. It's it's very, it's very shocking. To someone mm. like me, I don't know if that comes across, but that's just for me. It's hard for me to imagine that that's something that you would have to do. And then there are studies saying that, like police brutality, like this, especially unjust police killings that are being played on media over and over mm-hmm. again, it actually damaged the mental health of Black Americans. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I would be frightened as a Black American, and I probably would want to move to China or something. I mean, you know, my my boyfriend does joke about how different he feels in China. He's like, he sees the police and he's like i could probably talk to these police officers and they will be very nice to me yeah i mean i've you know in america i wouldn't talk to the police generally because i'd be too uh, frightened even as a white person as a white middle-aged male person but in china i've oft- often just walked up to the police and said i heard there was a pool hall around here can you tell me where it is yeah. and they've like pointed me in the right direction like the police in china are like just friendly people in uniform yeah you're listening to the bridge But, you know, this article uh, from France 24, no, sorry, this is AFP Washington, uh, January 28th. It talks about the death of mm. Tyre Nichols this year. It, and he died in the hospital three days after being beaten to death in Memphis, Tennessee. But this shows that since the George Floyd killing, things have not changed. Like there was a lot of hoopla in the media about, oh, things may have changed since the police were brought to some sort of accountability over the George Floyd killing, yeah. but nothing changed. We're still in the same place that we were three years ago if not worse, or yeah. in 1991 when Rodney King was beaten by police in Los Angeles. Yeah, things. Yeah, actually worse. Right. Statistics show that this kind of violence by police is increasing year on year. So we're not getting to a point where there's accountability just because, you know, the media say, oh, you know, we've gotten to a point where there's national healing. No, that's not true. We still need to take very serious actions to address the reality of police killings of people of all races, backgrounds and ethnicities. And uh, obviously it does affect dramatically the black community much more than most other communities. Apparently the uh, Asian and Pacific Islander community is also receives an enormous amount of disproportionate violence by the policing forces in the United States. Mm. So again, we need to go back to universal standards, more education. People shouldn't be able to say, I want to be a police officer. And then three months later, they have a badge and a gun. Exactly. They need to be going through a very long qualifying process of being educated about what that kind of role uh, has. And it should be held to account at the local level, the sheriff, the state police 
police, the interstate police, the FBI. Obviously, the FBI is does seem to be qualified. Those same standards yeah. should be the standards that everyone should be held to account at all levels of policing throughout the entirety of the United States in all territories. Mm, and, you know, the one of the narratives around, well, let's not say narratives because I really I don't really like that word. But, you know, one of the arguments people are having was saying people who are not so much f- in support of any sort of reform or any sort of changes that need to happen. Um, we're saying that, you know, the police, being a police officer is a highly stressful job where they do have to mm. face a lot of, you know, really dangerous situations themselves. Mm-hmm. Nobody, yeah. I don't think anybody is denying that fact. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's exactly because being a police officer is a highly stressful job. You're going to be faced with many life and death situations, not just for, and then a lot of life death situations for other people. You know, a lot lot of times that you have the luxury or you have the resources to, like we've been saying, calling back up, having a better idea of de-escalating. And then mm-hmm. if you leave the decision to the people that you were in the encounter with instead of for yourself, like if you're going into the situation that you know is stressful, that you know could be dangerous, all you think about is, am I? what am I going to do? Like what's going to happen to me instead of what's going to happen to those people? That's kind of the wrong approach that you, you, could, you could take to these mm-hmm. situations. Mm-hmm. And again, nobody is saying that it's easy to be a police officer and that's exactly why we are advocating for more formal standardized and longer more strict training process to be put in place so that you are qualified and not just qualified you're better prepared for yourself even if we're not talking about you know um and just killing and just whatever if you are just really misusing a deadly weapon mm-hmm. on one of your assignment what is that going to do to your own psychological health like can you do you can you live can you live with that i can't i can't imagine ever living with mm-hmm. having done something like that in my life i don't want to be the person or i don't want to be the the outlet that puts mm-hmm. one group completely against another because i don't think that solves the problem but what people are most people are trying to advocate here is that you need to really think about the aftermath of these decisions that you make mm-hmm. on the fly and it's it's like what we say it's it's like kung fu kung fu is martial arts is never about mm-hmm. what weapon you use it's about the amount of force that you apply mm-hmm. and and the real masters know to not go for the killing the real masters always know where to kind of stop and for you to do that for you to have that muscle memory Mm -hmm. to make the right reactions it takes years of training so i think the police force should adopt the same you know philosophy of kung fu masters from china as well to learn you know this is how you should make the right reaction and for you to do that it's an immeasurable amount of hours well, you know, of training. I completely agree with you. And I, I think a lot of people at home who may ha- be have loved ones who are police officers who may be listening to this and thinking that's not fair. Yeah. Well, I think we can make it fair. So say you have to go to a program that is a couple of years. Yeah. Say if you are successfully become a police officer for a certain period of time, like two or three or four or five years, you could have that debt that whatever that costs forgiven. So if you need to go to like a junior college or a university for two years to become qualified to become a police officer in the United States, the United States could say, okay, 
after you have successfully been a police officer for two or three years, we will erase that debt for you. It's not a matter of we're trying to punish the police. We're trying to make sure we should be trying to make sure that the police have the tools that they need to do their job successfully for their own benefit and for the benefit Mm. of the society at large. Exactly. Exactly. That's what we're trying to say. So I have another thing here. This is actually puts it at a lower threshold. So this is from Rutgers.edu. Fatal police shootings in the United States are higher and training is more limited than in other nations. And in this uh, paper, it says, according to the data, United States fatal shootings, a fatal police shootings rate 2019 was five times higher than Australia's and 22 times higher than France's. So it also goes on to mention Mm. that Belgian police, quote, with a fatal police violence rate of 0.35 per million, receive eight months of training, while the National Police of France, with a lower 0.29 per million rate of fatal police violence, attend school for 10 months. So it does look like, according to Rutgers, that there is an inverse relationship between training and police violence. So the longer we train Mm. our American police, the less fatal violence we're going to end up seeing. So why don't we invest in making sure that the police have the tools that they need to do their job effectively for both their own safety and for the safety of the community? Absolutely. It's for the good of both sides. Yeah. Absolutely. 100%. According to, this is a little bit older, Guardian, uh, 2021, September 1st, Mm. Elijah McLean, uh, Colorado grand jury indicts five over black man's death. So it does look like police, the the judicial system is starting to investigate these kinds of things more. I saw a speech recently. Mm. In the speech, this uh, black lawyer was saying that one of the things that is helping uh, with these kinds of cases is the ubiquity of the cell phone, the smartphone, because everyone has not just the police have cameras, Mm. which sometimes you can't actually get the feed from, but everyone has a recording device right Mm. with them. So standing from a safe distance, you know, if the police wave you away, you probably should consider taking their advice, but stand at a safe distance and record these instances because it does facilitate what the judicial system is able to do with its limited tools right now to hold some of the police to account for the violent acts that have been committed. But obviously, this is the worst case scenario, holding the police to account for violent acts. Mm. The better scenario would be making sure police have the tools they need to de-escalate a situation Mm. so that there is no violence in the first place, both for the police safety and for the safety of our communities again. Yeah, definitely. There's an article that I came across again. It's an interview with a social psychologist from the University of Michigan. And this person, uh, Nicholas Camp, is the expert, has his expertise in racial bias studies and how it affects mm. police community interactions. And they have used police body cam footage, what I was uh, talking about earlier, and then community surveys to really analyze the police behavior. And what they're saying is something that's so simple, like just mm-hmm. some small changes in how you address the person that, you know, for, for police officers, how you address mm-hmm. the person that you're stopping at a traffic stop and, and how you talk to them, just a change, a slight change 
change of tone and communication style could make the whole mm-hmm. like you make people trust the police a little more basically and that becomes something that's that could be we all know it's it needs to be there needs to be like big mm-hmm. fundamental changes but small changes from these using from these things could make it a little easier for the situation because in the training they're probably told to use mm-hmm. like proper names and commands to to get people to to you know just throw these big um jargons or or law legal terms out there to make people feel like they are already suspect of something and like i said that kind of communication makes people feel like oh i don't know what to do and they might freeze and that's mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. we said like there's a lot of for some situations that's really where the so-called uh, mm-hmm, resistance mm-hmm. comes from and it's small changes like that it could really help a little bit at least i don't know how well it's going to work but it's going to help a little bit it's very clear that in nations with increased training you have lower threshold of violence yeah. i mean you also have the issue of guns we also have the issue of racial violence but for me as an american i look at the problem with police violence Mm. in another way also beyond the violence which affects the police and the violence which affects our communities and black communities and native and pacific islander communities it also looks it it goes down to the actual stability of the united states Mm. as an entity if the united states as an entity wants to continue to move forward safely without threats to its own existence existential threats to the existence of the united states as a viable state it needs to we americans need to be able to deal with these kinds of issues these are not issues that most other nations in the world have to deal with this is a united states Mm. specific problem now you may be able to find some example of a very poor nation where there are there's a lot of violence Mm. the united states is the only wealthy nation of its size and scale that is experiencing these problems Mm. if we want to ensure the stability of the united states as an entity we need to be able to resolve these issues. Mm. And these issues have been endemic to the system of the United States for at least decades, at least half a century. If we really look at the data, probably much longer than that. It's something we need to solve in order to increase the viability of the United States moving forward. We need to solve the problem of policing and violence. And that does seem Mm. like something we're capable of doing as an American people. We have some of the best educational institutions in the world at our disposal. All we need to do is come together to establish what kind of training is appropriate, what kind of universal standards to apply, and apply those so that becoming a police officer is a profession and not just something people go into because it's a job that is stable with reasonable pay. Yeah. I mean, when we talk about jobs that are stable with reasonable pay in China, we think about college professors, not uh, being the, the kind of the person that decides other people's life and death. Wow. Well, this has not been our usual uh, hilarious episode, but I think it's a necessary one for us to broach cross-culturally because I think there are lessons that we can learn from China because China does not have these problems. I just feel like it'll, I don't know if I'll live to see the day when Western media, even just any any Western media outlet be a little bit more brave and just come out and actually acknowledge the, the safety environment 
in China. Mm. Could you put all of your other biases and all of your other ideas and disagreements aside just to acknowledge that it's a very, very safe city? And then, of course, there are people who are going to be like, oh, I saw this case online. I saw that case online. There's no mm. country in the world that has zero has crime. no cases. There's right? no way. And I don't know if people saw, but there was, I, I can't exactly recall which country it was. It was one of the very developed Northern European countries where people are saying, you know, the police doesn't do anything bad to these people and that the way they were tearing they were beating people and they were letting their dogs bite the protesters wow. how that person how that police officer was holding the dog and not letting the dog let go of that person's arm and while other people police officers were beating up other people with so the police baton mm. in a protest that footage was extremely horrifying and that was at a country that people will never think that would be their daily that it would occur in that country and if you flip that mentality like actually acknowledge how safe mm. this place china really is and i think mm -hmm. regardless of what people did here how long they live here if you're an expatriate who lived in china you ask them they're all going to say it's probably the safest place that they have ever lived I actually i really agree with you and i'm glad you brought this up because one of the things i'm a, on social media a lot i'm a social media warrior or whatever couch potato it doesn't matter one of the two and i get a lot where someone will post a video this one of the same three or four videos of police violence or something and they'll look, look at china i'm like do you have any idea idea how far outside of the bell curve that is like in the United States, the center of the bell curve mm. is police violence. That is normal, like everyday reality. Whereas like the video that you have just managed to barely find of like a police a violent police action from like 2017 is abnormal. That's a statistical outlier. It doesn't represent exactly what daily life is. Daily life in China is like your kids tent. So they walk home from school like a kilometer, maybe with no supervision and you don't have to worry about them. That is not the case in the United States. Yeah. I mean, I lived in South Korea, one of also these super safe places where police violence doesn't happen. Generally, there's no criminality. I feel safer in China. I, I, when I went to Japan, Japan, I feel I feel safer in China. China is mm. super duper safe. The police are super helpful. If you find a violent video, that is not normal life. That is, you know, scraping the bottom of the barrel trying to prove a point that's not true. Anyways, that is all the time we have. Alex. Well, we hope we could keep having conversations about these important topics, but we also would love to hear from our listeners on what you think that could be done to make this world a better place for everybody. We love the bridge at gmail.com. Thank you again, Alex. Thank you, Jason. See you next time.